1: Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.
0: Welcome, everyone, to episode 48 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I am your host, Jack Rico, and if you are a first-time listener to this U.S. Latino pop culture show, thank you for discovering us, and please share the show with all of your friends. We depend on you guys to get the word out. Before we kick off the show, just wanted to take some time out to wish our fellow Floridians a safe reprieve from Irma. We'll be hoping, praying it swerves into that emptiness of the Atlantic Ocean. Changing gears really quick, if you are someone who's been hearing about DACA this whole week and are curious about how it works and why it's so important, I talked to Caitlin Patler. She basically holds a PhD in DACA and has written several important papers on the subject. She joins me to explain in detail what you guys need to know. Then, what's with kids cursing in movies? Between the Bad Moms 2 trailer I saw and the It Clown horror movie, has Hollywood lost its values? I talked to Tara McNamara. She's an authority on family films about why parents have been silent on the topic. And speaking of the new horror film, It, I got to see it with a friend of mine named Diego, and we have our first reaction of the film. Is it really scary, and should you pay to go see it? Keep your headphones on. This is the Highly Relevant Podcast. Caitlin Patler is a Ph.D. and Assistant Professor of Sociology at UC Davis and author of From Undocumented to Documented, Impacts of DACA Program. Caitlin, welcome to the Highly Relevant Podcast.
2: Thank you so much. It's great to be here.
0: Uh, For those listeners who are still unaware of what DACA is, can you give us a quick overview of what it is?
2: Sure. Um, The Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program was an executive order announced by the Obama administration um, in June 2012 and implemented in August of 2012. And Mm -hmm. what the program does is um, provide a, what's called um, deferred action on the deportation of eligible applicants. And in general, um, to be eligible for the program, um, somebody has to have arrived to the United States as a child, Mm -hmm. um, uh, not be over the age of 31, and meet a series of other eligibility criteria, including um, not having a criminal record um, and having um, and either be enrolled in school or already have completed um, a high school or GED program. And to date, the program has benefited over eight hundred thousand uh, people.
0: So, before DACA, how were how were uh, immigrants below the age of thirty one? Right.
2: So. Um, There are, you know, over 11 million undocumented immigrants in the United States, and um, 5 million of them are under the age of 30. Um, These are estimates that are a few years old now, but have likely not changed substantially. Mm -hmm. Um, People had a significant number of barriers um, to accessing um, lawful employment, um, to accessing higher education. Even completing a, a secondary education was challenging for people. Um, but this is a community that is incredibly resilient. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, we know that there are, there's a high demand for jobs that in all sectors of the economy, um, and that undocumented immigrants work in, um, all sectors of the economy as well. And so I think people were making ends meet before, um, but in, in ways that were probably a lot more challenging than, um, uh, with the work authorization that people become eligible for as DACA beneficiaries,
0: so Jeff Sessions this week officially announced that DACA uh, is being rescinded in March of 2018. As someone who was very close to this subject matter, what was your reaction when you heard the news? Well, I think
2: I, like many other people, um, felt a range of emotions. I think this is um, a really bad decision um, on on behalf of the administration. I will say that the program um is not going away in six months completely. In, in other words, um, people's work permits are going to be allowed to expire on the timeline that they would have expired anyway. So what the administration has said is that they're not going to accept new applications um, that hadn't already been approved as of the date of the announcement right. yesterday. Um, they uh, are going to accept renewal applications for anyone whose permit would have expired within the next six months um, up to March of 2018, March 8th, I believe it is. So for anyone who has a permit that's expiring in the next six months, they're still able to renew it as long as they mm-hmm. get that renewal application in by October 5th of this year, and that's really important. Um, but broadly, I think that people were um, shocked, dismayed, um, devastated in many cases. I mean, I think it's relatively unprecedented to phase out uh, the, uh, the work permits of such a, a huge number of people who are connected mm-hmm. to millions and millions of households.
0: Now, I heard Jeff Sessions say, say that uh, DACA is unconstitutional. Is it?
2: No, it's not unconstitutional. And in fact, there was a letter that was sent to uh, President Trump on August 14th of this year by a group of over 100 of the most preeminent uh, law professors in the United States. Oh, I think I read that. Yeah, it was on your Twitter feed.
0: I saw it there. Mm -hmm.
2: Okay, yeah, explaining in detail um, the legality of the program.
0: so that's crazy that the depart- the head of Department of Justice would actually say it's unconstitutional. It just puts you in a, in a place, if you're one of the DACA recipients, that you don't know who to believe. I mean, the government has, for the most part... Uh, just not been accurate with the information that is necessary for one to re- react properly. Now, what is the argument of the Trump administration for rescinding DACA? And, and how does it benefit them, if at all?
2: Right. So so what happened was that a group of um, mostly conservative uh, state governors threatened to sue the Trump administration um Regarding DACA, they threatened to take the program to court if an announcement wasn't made by September 5th of this year. And so, um, really, what the Trump administration was saying, and and Jeff Sessions did mention that in his um, speech yesterday in the DHS memo um, outlining the guidelines, also mentions that the Trump administration just really wasn't willing to go to bat for an Obama era program because um, they likely would have won that litigation, in fact, mm-hmm. had um, DACA been challenged in court, um, but it would have been a time-consuming and costly process, and they just weren't willing to put up the resources um, to to defend uh, an Obama-era program. Um, the other part of the issue is that Historically, um, both the executive and the courts have said that really it's, it's for Congress to make immigration policy. Well, to be clear, DACA is not, not, a policy. It's an executive order, but Congress, um, has the power, um, at any point to, um, uh, make new, alter or make new immigration laws. Um, and they really have not done, uh, anything to address the situation of, of all 11 million undocumented immigrants who are residing in this country uh, for a long
0: time. What are the economic, social, and psychological repercussions to the country if DACA is officially removed uh, sometime in March? I imagine that it has to be almost severe.
2: Yes, um, I think that it's going to be um, devastating um, uh, across all those indicators, right? So um, research has shown um, that DACA recipients are working in practically every sector. Um, the program has brought about incredible improvements to their lives. Um, they've been able to get better jobs, and they've been able to be paid more. They've been able to work better hours. They are more likely to have health insurance. Um, over and over, we've seen these um, statistics coming out. My own research documented that there were also significant improvements to public health um, in the sense that, um, by providing sort of a relief from deportation, a relief from that constant and ever-present worry,
0: oh, um, stress, right,
2: improves people's mental health, and I think taking it away, especially in this way, could have really significant and reverberating um, community health impacts because people are not. Um, pe- DACA recipients are individuals, but they're connected to communities. Um, people are not isolated. They're not islands, right? They're connected to whole families, to right. whole communities. And the impacts of this announcement have reverberated deeply um, among not just undocumented people, not just un- non-citizens, but across the country, citizens and non-citizens alike.
0: Um, you know, one thing, I was talking to my brother about this uh, just yesterday. It's, I just feel like it's an omnipresent conversation to have at the moment. Uh, especially if you're Hispanic, because uh, if you're Hispanic, you probably know someone uh, that's a DACA recipient. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we talked about was when Obama did this, and here, here's like the rub and the complication of it. When Obama did this, he knew he wasn't going to be in office for the rest of eternity. At some point, somebody would have won this. Now, they might have been very optimistic in saying, well, you know, Hillary's going to win. There's no way Trump is going to win. But when a lot of these 800,000 recipients decided to come out of the shadows, so to speak, and give their personal data, to now know that Donald Trump has all that data and can easily tell ICE, ICE, go to this guy's address at this particular place and location. That's where he will be. Go get him, deport him. Uh, Isn't there some sort of legal issue that they The people can fight saying, "Look, I had certain promises that were made for me to be able to give my information, and now I feel like I'm being betrayed by the same government that said I could do this,
2: yeah, I certainly think people will feel um betrayed by this government. Um, you have to remember also that the the I think the average age of arrival for mo- for docker recipients was six years old. Um, So people grew up in this country, Um, even when they didn't grow up in this country, people feel like they have lived here a very long time. Um, And so it certainly feels like a betrayal to, you know, have this um, program available and then suddenly take it away.
0: Yeah, you know, and there's a part of me that was thinking, how much fault is there in the actual DACA program? I mean, do you feel that the DACA program is, 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 is a perfect policy? Or do you think it has flaws?
2: I think the program certainly had flaws. I mean, we would, what I think would be a much more sensible solution would be to provide a permanent path to citizenship, not just for um, a certain subgroup of highly selective young people, but also to their family members, also to the other undocumented people that live and work in the mm-hmm. United States and call the United States home. And so I think. An executive order is certainly not a a perfect solution. A program that can be rescinded at any time is not a, a per, not a permanent solution. And mm-hmm. it would be much more sensible policy to to create a longer term, longer lasting solution that doesn't create a sort of subclass of secondary. Um, residents, because we couldn't call people citizens if they're not actually able to have access to citizenship.
0: Right. Well, I guess then the the final question to ask is, what are the tools do we have at our disposal to stop Trump and the administration from achieving the goal of eliminating DACA? Is there anything we as people of this country can do? Uh, Is there somebody we can call? So
2: there's a, a website that an organization that's led by undocumented young people started called United We Dream. And there's a website, weareheretostay.org, um, and that has some helpful suggestions about contacting Congress, um, attending events, um, becoming educated. I think in addition to that, it's really important right now for us to support our friends, our students, our co-workers, mm-hmm. our community members who are being impacted by this um, decision very directly to understand... Um, the emotional, financial, psychological toll that this is taking on millions of people in this country right now. Um, I think it's also important if one is able to offer to pay, help pay for the renewal applications for people who are still eligible in the, in this next 30 day period, um, Uh, and to support other organizations that are working on litigation, um, challenging, uh, this announcement. So, for example, the National Immigration Law Center, NILC, um, filed a lawsuit yesterday, um, challenging, um, the decision. And so, you know, I think we can, we can, um, continue to support uh, groups like that um, that would go a long
0: way Caitlin thank you so much for for imparting your wisdom uh, with us and letting us know what we can do and kind of just giving us a, a a more in-depth look at what daCA is and maybe some of the solutions that we can also do thank you very much for being on the podcast you're very welcome very talk to you. it's time for Jack did Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. Director Colin Trevorrow has stepped down from next year's Star Wars Episode Nine. Denzel Washington's role in Roman J. Israel, Esquire could score the actor his third Oscar. Gavin O'Connor will direct Suicide Squad Two, and the summer box office officially hits a twenty-five year low. Ouch. In TV news, CBS and the CW set up immigration dramas with Gina Rodriguez, where she will be producing both. Nat Geo casts Antonio Banderas as Picasso for Genius Season 2. Charlie Rose is interviewing Steve Bannon on CBS's 60 Minutes this Sunday. There's a new cable news channel called Newsy targeting millennials from Scripps. HBO has renewed Real Time with Bill Maher through 2020. Hulu is working with Star Trek and Wonder Woman actor Chris Pine in a miniseries about Bobby Kennedy. And actor Jonathan Price will play Argentinian Pope Francis in Netflix's The Pope. Switching over to music, Taylor Swift has dethroned Luis Fonsi's Despacito from the number one spot before it could break Mariah Carey's 16-week record. A new Michael Jackson album is scheduled to be released this fall, just in time for Halloween. J Balvin's Mijenta hits number one on the Latin Airplay chart. Osuna debuts at number one on Top Latin Albums chart with Odisea. Two weeks are left before the Latin Grammy nominations on September 20th. Madonna has officially left the United States and moved to Portugal. And here's a listen to the first posthumous George Michael single, Fantasy. Hey, In digital and social media news, Apple and Amazon are looking to buy the rights for James Bond. Spotify teams up with Hulu for $5 subscription bundle for students. Amazon announces plans for huge new North America headquarters. TMZ has a new rival and it's called The Blast. Twitter brings night mode feature to computer desktops. And now you can share Instagram stories directly to Facebook. I'd like to welcome now Tara McNamara, a really good friend of mine for a long time. She's a film analyst who specializes and is an authority on family films. You can see her on today's show, ET Insider and Inside Edition. Welcome to the show, Tara, once again. How are you, girl?
3: I'm great. Thank you for having me. How's LA? Oh, gosh. LA's great. I mean, LA is doing wonderful. It's cool it's wonderful no natural disasters at
0: the moment at the moment fingers crossed because that south is being pounded by hurricanes and rain and oh my god i got family that still lives in miami so mom and dad are there so we're trying to do the best to get them out but did you hear supposedly there's no gas in miami or in half of florida and there's no flights leaving uh, the city or some of the areas of Florida. It's it's a little insane, the fact that our infrastructure is so poor that we can't even deliver gas to these people.
3: I, I agree. I mean, but I am impressed by the governor who really has his act together and is working with all these companies who are volunteer, you know, in hotels. And it feels like everyone's coming together and everyone's taking it seriously, which since this is where we know each other is from Miami, we know that people in Miami don't always... You know, they, they get hit by hurricanes so often mm-hmm. that that they don't always leave when they're told to. And I think this time with Hurricane Harvey, especially that they uh, that they're like, OK, we're leaving, we're leaving. Oh, wait, what? There's no gas. Right. <laughs> we can't. There's no flight. It's we can't depressing. Leave.
0: What? It's demoralizing if you live down there in Florida. But anyways, changing topics. Uh, I, I wanted to get your, your 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 professional perspective on this. So here's what happened. I was watching the Bad Moms trailer the bad moms 2 trailer it's the christmas version with mila kunis etc and as i'm watching it this little girl 5 years old f- 5 between 5 and 10 years old dropped the f bomb and then you punched the wall and yelled the f bomb you were like oh my fucking god just like that oh my fucking god oh my fucking god it just felt wrong it, it just looked wrong and this is coming off of a screening of the movie It that I saw with a friend of mine where all these adolescents, 12 to 13-year-old uh, kids, were, were cursing up a massive storm. When did this become like such a, such a normal thing for children to curse in movies? Now, I remember growing up, and this is why I have a dilemma with this. I remember that my parents... I could not curse ever. If I cursed in f- at home in front of my parents, I was getting slapped in the face. Whether it be in Spanish or in English, I was not allowed to curse. And I felt that that was the same case with all of my friends growing up in the 80s. Now, the the first time I remember cursing in movies was I probably the Goonies. When I sat mm-hmm. down in the theater and I saw the, all these kids curse all the time... At the time, it felt like novel, like, okay, well, that's our little secret that we do in school. You know, we curse amongst each other, but we're really not allowed to curse. It was something private. But what happens with the gigantic IMAX screen or any theater screen is that it's no longer private. It's public. And so at some point, I feel like it was a bit, Jesus, I don't want to go there and say offensive to me because I sound like some sort of conservative stalwart, but but I, I don't know, maybe I'm growing older and it just feels wrong to see kids doing that. So I did a little poll on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. Everybody outraged at the fact yeah. that kids curse in movies. Yet, I feel that this has not been a topic that has arisen with the MPAA, with Hollywood directors. Because right now, the major topic in Hollywood is race and inclusion and diversity. right. But right. it's not about our children. And cursing. So, Tara, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Is it appropriate or inappropriate to have kids cursing in movies? It, well,
3: I think it's inappropriate, but let me just back it up. So I, have, I do have to say, like, from the Bad News Bears to the Goonies to South Park, kids cursing or saying inappropriate things is a way that Hollywood knows it can get a laugh. Because it shocks the audience because it's so wrong and because we recognize it's so wrong. And even if you're a kid watching it, you know it's so wrong. Um, at least that's their perception. So this has been going on for a long time. But what was interesting is in the 80s, there were so, I mean, you know, The Sandlot, um, Stand By mm-hmm. Me, I mean, their kids were cursing in these films. Um, Steven Spielberg is one of the worst offenders. <laughs> you know, he always has his kids cursing in films. It,
0: it's, um, it blows my mind.
3: Yeah, and so it is an '80s thing, and so I thought that was interesting in it that they did have these um, 12 and 13 year olds, especially one. There's one who's just the kid from Stranger Things, yeah, who makes who who says like makes all kinds of sexual jokes and about mothers
0: and everything else. Now, listen, I don't want to. I I've cursed ever since I was a kid. I've done that. I'm not sure if (laughs) you did when you were a little girl, but for some, like I said before it was something private that was meant yeah. for friends in the backyard where no one else is listening. Yeah. But 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 putting it on screen is basically it becomes a bit of a of a template that it's okay for kids to curse at home you're, anywhere else, no?
3: Well, no, you're right. So I just I want to tell you though that they did so so basically in the 80s we had a lot of that and then we started to see the cursing decrease from children, you know, and and teenagers. Now teenagers in films tend to always curse. And Hollywood does that because they think that makes them seem like a peer, like cool, like credible. But um, what's interesting about it is we actually, with Kids Pick Flicks, the site that you talked about that I ran with my kids for a decade, we did a poll and kids actually don't like it when there's cursing um, in films because it pulls them out huh. of the experience because their brains know it's not okay. Um, so, but I have seen it start to create this cursing by children creeping back in. So the place that I noticed it was daddy's home, the Will Ferrell and uh, Mark Mark Wahlberg movie. Yeah. And so what was interesting about that is that, um, it was shocking because that was actually perceived and marketed as a family film. Um, you know, there, there, but even though you had the kids cursing in it and I was, I was kind of shocked by that. I mean, I did, by the way, they use my quote to promote the film because I love that they because they had a stepfather and a as a positive figure, which never happens in film. So I thought I, I was weighing the good with the bad there. But um, but but what's interesting about the two things that we're seeing: Bad Moms Christmas and it are rated R. Um, and Bad Moms Christmas, the idea of the child who's cursing is that she's quoting her mother, and she's not understanding the context in which her mother is using the F word, which is the viewer knows that she overheard her mother using in a sexual way, (laughs) heard her mom having sex, saying these words over and over again, you know, cursing. um, And the mom's kind of shocked at the whole thing and not knowing what to do with it. Right. So Um, what you're saying
0: is that context for when, 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 when movies, when movie scenes of kids cursing, a lot of it has to do with context. And I understand that that could be, oh, my God, every parent has gone through that. Maybe you have with your own children where they've cursed and it's something that maybe they heard mom and dad say and that's real life kind of like Steven Spielberg doing you know his saving private ryan that's what war looks like those opening minutes there's nothing we can hide that's that's real life so i understand that why do parents allow that to be on screen why do well, hollywood I- directors allow that for cheap laughs and why hasn't there been why why hasn't there been a massive complaint by parents unless we're living in 2017, and all parents are okay with it. Well, I
3: think that because these films are rated R, there aren't they aren't going to come under scrutiny for that now. And like I said, though, Daddy's Home was rated PG-13, and nobody except me like said a word. No one seemed to even notice it. Um, I mean, you know, and there's films like Kick-Ass. Remember Chloe Grace Moretz cursed up a storm in that but, film, yeah, but it was rated R. And I laughed R. at
0: that. And I, you know, now that I think about it, I feel guilty about it. But heck. It was hilarious to hear her because I don't know about her and cursing. She curses so well that it actually <laughs> is funny. But this particular kid in Bad Moms 2, I just felt like the 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 emotional comic tone behind her. I mean, little kid wasn't there and it just fell flat to me. And it actually just sounded like a curse, like a like an insult. Yeah.
3: Well, let me tell you, let me answer your question. So why are directors allowing this? Why are studios allowing this? I mean, there's, there's step one, which is, it's rated R, so that's why it's gonna slide. There's step two, which is, why are we making Hollywood our moral authority? When did they become the moral authority? And then I'm gonna give you the asterisk to this, which is film, other than violence, has become the one of the safest, <laughs> if it's PG-13, the safest venues for children to watch. Um, because TV and has become—that's
0: uh, even worse.
3: I know, and Netflix and YouTube. And let me tell you, the things I'm battling oh as a God. parent is YouTube. YouTube is the worst. And your kids can—they, you know, these videos just pop up. I mean, my kids watching a video that's for children, and in the top there's a sponsored ad that's uh, that features some of these like you know youth uh, uh, YouTubers that's about pot you know and i was like what i mean there's no getting through youtube so then there's step three okay so there that's one there's two and then three is i'm actually working on um a website right now uh 80s movies a guide to what's wrong with your parents (laughs) that's great
0: i can't wait to see it
3: our parents no our parents didn't allow us to curse we didn't – I I remember getting in trouble for saying butt once. I mean, I
0: <laughs> – See, but that's not a curse word, right? But, 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 but that 19- just kind of tells you how sensitive and delicate, you know, bad words yeah. were when we were growing up.
3: In 1982, butt was a, a bad word, you know? I mean, that's the fact. In front of your parents, you couldn't say that. Now, were we cursing – like, as we became teenagers, teenagers tend to do that because it looks like adult behavior, and they're, like, trying to – you know, they're trying to show that, you know, they're bucking all the things that we want them to do. So the fact that we don't want them to curse makes them curse. Um, so so the fact like having teenagers curse is is probably true to life. But like, I don't think any of us want to see children cursing. And the more that they see it, because they are watching YouTube, and the Red Band trailer is on YouTube, the more they see that as acceptable. And why are fam- why are parents allowing it? It's because they grew up in an era Where children cursed in movies. Now we're back to our original story about the Goonies and the Mm -hmm. Bad New Bears and, you know, uh, the Sandlot and all of these films. I mean, um, remember in A Christmas Story, um, Ralphie curses. He says the F word and he gets, winds up, you see him with soap in his mouth, right? Like he gets in trouble for that. Mm -hmm. But there, there, there is. Uh so cursing in film has a, with children saying it has existed, but either we see consequences for it in the past or, you know, it's an understanding that you're not supposed to do that. But the more it seeps in, even if you put it in that context, kids don't kids don't get messages as adults think they're going to get them. Right. So. Right. In in the Bad Moms Christmas, rated R, they shouldn't see it. By the way, there's plenty of parents who will let them see it because there are a lot of irresponsible parents, (laughs) in my opinion. Like when you go and you're like, why would you have a six-year-old in this film? That's crazy. But um, I see it even in critic screenings. I can't believe sometimes people bring kids to films that are rated R and totally inappropriate. Let me
0: read a couple of comments that some parents and some uh, people on LinkedIn, on my LinkedIn, uh, said about this topic. Uh, one of them said, totally disturbing, funny does not need to be vile, which is exactly what it is involving minors in this behavior. Children are no uh, children or no children, what's wrong is wrong. Another woman said, they get their reference from everything around them, movies, music, sports and TV, parents, neighbors, friends, school. I am not a fan of kids cursing, but it's not going to go away. And then I had on Twitter, uh, a couple of people said, listen. To, to paint it, to, to to generalize that is to kind of do it in broad strokes. It's all about context. And another person said, look, in Latin America, three to five-year-olds, in Chile specifically, uh, they start cursing at a very young age. And so by the time they become teenagers, it's a normal thing. So it seems to me that cursing is a cultural thing, depending on where you are and how conservative or how progressive that country is or that city is like maybe Amsterdam you know cursing is not a big deal they have the red light district not a big deal you smoke uh, a joint not a big deal so why would cursing be a big deal so it seems like either in America we're overly conservative or we're finally shedding those chains and becoming a lot more progressive and so the question I guess would be Tara should we start embracing or maybe not embracing but not being bothered uh, or annoyed by kids cursing at such a young age. And that it's okay. It's not... There hasn't been any studies that say that kids are damaged as adults because they curse from a young age. So maybe these guys say, look, it's not a big deal. It's comedy. Uh, and even if it wasn't comedy, if it was drama, it, you know kids do curse in real life and so to show it on screen is just reflecting a slice of life
3: yeah i i mean that that does life imitate art does art imitate life um argument um my feeling is is that we should put out what we want to see back <laughs> and so if if i don't i mean listen i think america is having a a problem with its moral fabric on a lot of levels right Totally now, right? agree with that. <laughs> and so in a way, this feels like the smallest uh, drop in the bucket of, of the issues that we are currently being confronted with and what it is that who we want our children to be. But I think that not cursing, like it's just it hurts our ears. Right. And I find that the older I get, the more it does. Um, where it's just is, like it's ugly language, it's an ugly word, and hearing it is kind of painful, you know, when it's you hear it. It's not normal.
0: Like- I just think to expect a kid to curse, it's not normal, which is the reason it sounds harsh when you hear it. And you hear it uh, from someone that is so, because there's this also the talk about innocence. Mm-hmm. I had asked somebody about, are you ruining the innocence of a child by making them, or commodifying them for commercial purposes to generate profit from your child, uh, to have them curse like that, ultimately, is that sort of like the pay? Hey, you can curse and you can make money. You're commodifying that to a certain extent. So to me, it's it's, kind of like getting down to the root of the problem and understanding how much at fault is the parent itself. For allowing these things to happen.
3: Yeah, I mean, well, remember though, the the kid is not going to start cursing in front of their parent, most likely, right? They're going to start cursing in front of their friend.
0: But they could say, get- "Mom, if I could do it for the movies, then why can't I?" And everybody's seeing me, then why can't I do it for that? You don't think that that kid, you know, as soon as they go to school or as soon as they go see a neighbor, and they go, "Hey, I saw you in that movie. Very funny, the way you said that f word." They're going to be known for that throughout, their, like you know, the next five to ten years, maybe even into adults, depending if the scene was really memorable. They're going to be remembered for that.
3: Yeah, like Chloe Grace Moretz. Like,
0: like Chloe we just, we Grace, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I laugh, and you know, I, I'm not going to lie. Seeing a kid, some kids uh, curse does provide a funny moment for me, but at what cost to them? Right. And so. I mean,
3: I've, I've long had a philosophy, though, about, you know, you can, you know, we can do things that are sort of shocking. Howard Stern is a great example. Um, you can do things that are shocking and will get people's attention and be entertaining. You might get a laugh. But, but we're should adults. You? How much has how did Howard Stern change the fabric of our society? I would say a lot. Um, how much did Madonna, by, like, pushing sexuality so hard, you know, change the fabric of society? I would say a lot. So it's, to me, all of these things, these small things they do to make a buck, to like, you know, to get, to get attention drawn. Um, but usually those, and usually the people who are doing those are not parents and are usually people who aren't, uh, as they get older, they start to realize the impact of like Perez Hilton, you know, and what he did to the internet. I mean, I would say Perez Hilton created the troll, you know, by being a troll. Um, you know, how much did he impact like the way that we you know, treat people, talk about people, um, and and be disrespectful, you know, like all of these things, they made money, they made a name on it, but at what cost, like you could make money off of it, but should you? And so I would say this is the same thing. If you have to curse or make a child curse to make a buck, then your writing is weak. You know, I I just don't think it's necessary. You you should be a better writer, a better director. And stop going for the
0: cheap laughs because it's easy to have a child do that, but I also think it's setting the wrong example because the same kids that go to the movies and see other kids their age uh, curse, that becomes easily the argument that they would tell their parents, well, if if you, you, mom, you took me to the movie and the kid cursed, and you actually paid money to see me watch the kid curse, then why can't I do it at home? Because it's bad? Then why did you take me to the movie? And then if it's so bad, then why is Hollywood allowing it? And if... You know, it's so bad, then why aren't you complaining, mom? You know, why aren't you going around like a mad woman saying, parents, do not allow your kids to curse? You, you know, I think this is one of those things that it's going to be an on... It, 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 it's going to be one of those battles, like you said, that's going to be ongoing forever. I don't think parents are ever going to be able to stop their kids from cursing. I just think that when it comes to 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 to, to movies in particular which is the the, the the king of all media, I think that that's where some lines cannot be crossed. I need, I think there needs to be some limits, some ethical and moral issues also need to be sort of talked about because at the end of the day, the future of our country are our kids. And so if right. that's the example that we're showing them from a very young age, then what is the future of our children, in, at least in this country? You know, and so... Listen, again, I don't want to be Mr. Conservative. I'm not a dad, so I shouldn't give two hoots about it. But nevertheless, I just find it wrong that at that age, they start that young cursing. And I feel, you know, you, they'll have their time, Tara. They'll have their time to curse. Don't curse at eight. And, and Hollywood, don't make it an example.
3: Right. I I totally agree with you. Um. I mean, but I but and I will give you this last piece, which is, I actually was, my daughter was sick one day and I was like, oh, there's this old movie on TCM like, uh, or AMC and it was, it was Six Pack with Kenny Rogers um, and Diane Lane when she was really young and I think it was from 1980 uh, approximately and I remembered loving it when I was a kid. So we put it on and the kids curse <laughs> like sailors no. and I was so shocked and I was like, um. Wait, um. was this the 70s? Um, it was, I feel like it was right around 1980. Got it. So like on the cusp of the
0: end of seventies, early eighties.
3: Yeah. So, um, but, but you know, the eighties had, had that all the time, had kids cursing. So on one hand you could say, well, you know, we all grew up with that. How did it affect us? And then you're probably, it's interesting because I've had people say, well, you know, you know, look at like, well, we turned out okay. And I'm like, did we, <laughs> you know, that's interesting.
0: Like,
3: uh, you think about all the stuff like the teen sex comedy and, uh, the, you know, the, and, and the cursing and the, all, all of that, right. Like that we grew up with the kind of films we grew up with and, you know, did we cut, did we turn out okay? I don't know. We, we, it's
0: It's an interesting question. And I think, you know, <laughs> we're going to have to be like old people to kind of finally have a perspective on that. But, you know, just to follow up with what you said. If kids are allowed to curse in movies where you pay to go see these kids, whether it's a PG-13 movie or a rated R film, then cursing should be allowed everywhere and anywhere. Like Matt Lauer cursing, you know, that. that why not let that happen? You know, why can't morning news or or broadcast news or broadcast television allow cursing to happen the way HBO does? So you have to pay for HBO to hear people curse, to kind of go where the real sort of uh, writing is, right? Um Maybe we should start conforming to that as broadcast TV, you know, goes into the next era, uh, next chapter of its life.
3: As as someone who, as I said, I find I find hearing cursing kind of painful to my ears. Um, not that I don't. I mean, Do
0: you know, you curse? I,
3: I curse to make a point, right? Like right. When you need, you, I,
0: I now, I curse have... to kind of make an emphatic, yeah. emphatic, you know, uh, note about something like
3: Right. You, you drop fuck. an F-bomb right (laughs) (laughs) yeah if something is effing this it's to make a point that it's extreme and you're making an extreme point and and that's it right but uh but but other than that I, i i honestly i would like them to get rid of the bleeps that you hear whenever gordon ramsay's on or whenever you're watching a reality show i mean they they bleep out so much and the bleeping is equally painful and you know what they're saying so it's, it it's doesn't crazy. even like it's not like you're disguising anything
0: tara thanks for coming on and discussing this topic with me you can catch tara mcnamara on CBS's the insider entertainment tonight you can catch her on the today show and inside edition plus you can follow tara on twitter at that's tara thanks tara have a great weekend oh, thanks for having me Before we get to our first reaction of the horror remake, IT, here's some tracks you might want to add to your playlist this weekend. Tu para mi,
4: y yo para ti, lo que quieras yo te
0: doy, si no bajas yo me Tu para mi, man de barro. Como soy, y
4: besarte quiero yo,
3: This ain't a temporary feeling, what you always say to do every weekend.
0: Temporary Feeling, Hannah Ellis. Glorioso Dia, Pasión featuring Christian Stanford. So I am here at the AMC Lincoln Theater on 68th and Broadway, New York City. Sitting down here with my boy Diego del Sol. What's up, man? Hey, hey. (laughs) <laughs> so, I brought Diego to come see the uh, the advance screening of the horror movie. It it's it was a book that was based from Stephen King. There was an original. Do you know when the original was? It was like seventies, eighties, eighties. I think it was late. It was, late 80s, it was, it was yeah. the, the late eighties, of course, because it was. Uh, this movie was basically an homage to like. You know, the horror movies of of the 80s. Um, I never got a chance to see the original. I never read the book. So this is like the first introduction of the movie for me in particular. But what was your immediate first reaction to this film, to it?
4: I thought... Look, I was very, very entertained. Uh, I thought it it was... I was shocked by how... How much more violent it was? Yeah, based dude. on the fact that it was like, it, it was also like the, the youthful campiness was there, like a Goonies right, movie. Right, right,
2: but right,
3: But then like all Gremlins of a sudden, movie. someone's arm right. would
4: get ripped off, which was, <laughs> and it was amazing. Like, and it was like child yeah, violence, man. though. It was yeah, like a, It was great, dude. I love that. <laughs> I love, I, dude. I thought it was amazing. The, for, the beginning scene is mind blowing. That overhead shot, dude, is beautiful. Of, of you know, I, I won't tell you too much, but it's amazing. Right, the opening
0: scene is fantastic, yeah. but the, the true star of this IT film are the kids.
4: Absolutely. The, the, this, they the, make
0: it. Yeah, the uh, the director is an Argentinian by the name of Andres Muschietti. Uh, he's one of Guillermo del Toro's boys. He's been, like, mentoring him, and so he finally got his shot to actually do this film. And it's funny, a lot of these Latino film directors, like Fede Alvarez... Who also did the remake of The Evil Dead. They're doing a lot of horror movies. It's like...
4: They're fans of the genre. It's like a
0: lot of these Latino directors uh, are doing a lot of horror films, which is an interesting trend uh, that that I'm starting to notice. But this film is basically an homage to the 80s. Uh, And there were posters on the walls. Did you notice the posters? Like 9 to Maryland Elm Street, uh, et cetera, et cetera. As you can hear, the loud score of the film while yeah. the credits are rolling, lights are still low here. Um, and it was an homage to the 80s. There were li- little clues of the posters, like Gremlins at Nightmare on Elm Street 5. There were some classic horror moments, too, that he was creating, Absolutely. like the gushes of the blood. And yeah. But ultimately, the this bloody, film...
4: The bloody room.
0: The I bloody mean, room, of course. Come on, that was <laughs> like, that's Gary, like yeah. yo... Um, it was also to, um, it was also written by Kerry Fukunaga from oh, True I Detector. Yeah, I, I saw was that. like, what? <laughs> I saw that. that's, yeah. So totally did not expect that coming, yeah, but I think nice. that this is like a team that's going to be doing a lot more stuff. I hope so, man. Um, I really hope so. I think so. it fits part of a trilogy. What else did you like about the film? What did you not like about the film?
4: You know, it's hard for me to say what I didn't like about the film. Uh, <laughs> basically everything. Yeah, day. I mean... I was pleased with most of what was going on. Like, it's, it's another one of, like, the l- most recent film that I could remember that I felt like everything I wanted to happen was happening <laughs> was Get Out. Like, everything yes. in Get Out was just like, yes. oh, that's great, you solved that problem. Everything he said, hey. fit yeah.
0: perfectly in this film. Exactly.
4: And same thing with this film. It was just like, I just thought it was it was beautifully shot. The direction, d- very it, yeah, stylized. The pacing was nice, absolutely. Very, S- very stylized. stylized. Very and modern. And the kids, you fall in love with the kids. They're just, they're a great team. They're constantly, even in the worst, most like fearful moment. Of, of the inter of their interaction in the film, they're still like talking about each other's mother and like still cracking <laughs> jokes. <laughs>
0: it's insane. Well, you could you could obviously tell that yeah. Andres Muschietti watched a lot of Stranger Things. He yes, understood exactly. that yeah. kids. Like if this was a movie about a clown killing kids, then the kids needed to be much more part of the uh, core yeah. of, of 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 the screenplay. And and I think it. it Dude, it made it made these kids stars. One of the kids was from, was from Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah, the 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 kid with the glasses, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. But the rest of these kids that probably are going to become like stars again. Um, so that was cool. Uh, what do you think about the horror? Were you scared out of your wits? I wasn't. Or?
4: No, I wasn't. I wasn't. You know, it's not that kind of film, but it does. I mean, they do. There's some moments where you're like, oh, okay, I didn't expect that to happen. And yes, of course, it's a killer clown that just constantly morphs into the scariest thing in your life, and then ultimately becomes a clown that eats you. It's yeah. holy
0: shit! <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> yeah, we were just interrupted.
4: <laughs> That's a crazy by, uh, laugh by at the end. Laugh. Yes.
0: At the end of the uh, credits. All right, looks like uh, lights are about to go on, but. Um, would you recommend this film to, absolutely, to anybody? Absolutely,
4: absolutely. People are gonna watch this at home with friends. People are gonna watch this in the theater. It, it's gonna be it's gonna be insane. People One, are gonna people are gonna bring their crew to watch this movie. All the fans yeah, of Stranger Things, absolutely. all the fans of horror flakes, they're totally gonna be into this film. So
0: absolutely, I think there's so much here for everybody. If you love '80s horror film, this is an homage. If totally. you love Stranger Things, totally. the kids. Are, the chemistry between the yeah. kids is probably at that Stranger Things level. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it was funny. It was. The kids were cursing, but but a lot of the punchlines, like, you know, uh, fell perfectly, like, on every joke. Absolutely. Um, yep. Very stylized. Great job by by Muschietti. Um, the sound was incredible. Uh, I mean, there were a couple of here and there, some, you know, like, moments where you go, okay, BS,
4: bullshit, but... Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think you got to suspend disbelief with certain parts. At certain you know, parts, yeah. you
0: know. But you want to root for this film to do it's well at the box it. office, Absolutely. and I think it's going to do well. A lot of hype around it. Marketing has been great. Did you see the marketing where they had like red balloons in sewer yes. gutters yes. Uh, throughout the yes. United States? Yeah, Shit was yeah. scary, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is amazing. But 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 overall, the, the, this was one of those great hard. 80s flicks, inspired by the great movies of the 80s, and if you love those 80s horrors, you're really going to dig this yeah, one, yeah, in yeah, my opinion. Yeah. And Any last comments?
4: Were, well, the the effects as well, the effects in this film were, were excellent. The way that the uh, the way that the, the Pennywise is with the kids was was unbelievable,
0: and the way that they did it was was really great. All right. Well, looks like the ushers literally just came in. We are going to be saying goodbye. From uh, the AMC Lincoln Theater after seeing it. Uh, all right. Game That's check. it, my man. <laughs> this is awesome. All right, guys. There you go. And before we say goodbye, Argentinian tennis player Juan Martin del Podro upset living legend Roger Federer at the U.S. Open in New York this week, and he gave fans in the stadium a lovely message. Completely... In Spanish. Buenas noches.
3: La verdad que me están haciendo un torneo espectacular. Ustedes, todos ustedes también, Latinoamérica. y Pensaré con el corazón porque.
0: And that's it for episode 48 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I'd like to thank Caitlin Patler, Tara McNamara, and Diego Lil Sol for hanging out with me this week. Thank you guys for taking the time out to listen from your favorite streaming platform wherever you may be. If you like this U.S. Latino podcast, please share it on your social media apps, tell your friends all about it and if you can, have them subscribe and review the show. If you'd like to reach out to us, email us at highlyrelevant at showbizcafe.com. That's highlyrelevant at showbizcafe.com. Hope you enjoy your weekend and stay connected with us via showbizcafe.com. See you next week on another episode of Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
1: Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs